very exciting on the Property Podcast this week. We have a new theme. It's Strategy September, and this week we're talking buy to lets. We give you all the ins and outs, and as a little extra bonus, we talk about why we got started in buy to let back in the day. Welcome to the Property Podcast, where every Thursday morning, property investors come together to be informed and inspired. Very excited for our first instalment of Strategy September today. And make sure you stick around to the end, because in Hub Extra, we've got a way of compressing what could be a guilt-ridden or unpleasant part of your day down into just seven minutes. This month, we're going back to basics. And every week for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking you through some of the most popular property strategies. Why? alliteration. It's strategy September. We're going to be talking about HMOs. We're going to be talking about flips. We're going to be talking about refurbs. But before we do any of that, we're going to start this week with buy-to-lets. Now, buy-to-lets is what we've spent most of our time doing. We've been doing it for over a decade. This is what we know inside out. So throughout this episode, we're going to be talking about our personal experiences. And so you get some real examples of what this is all about. So if you're newer to property, you're newer to the podcast, or you know someone who is and you want to give them a starting point, this series is going to be perfect. And if you're more experienced in property, then keep listening. Because when we did Fundamentals February and we went back to basics on some of the economics that underpin property investment, we had a lot of people saying that they'd been in the game for a long time, but they still found it hugely useful to go back to those first principles and remind themselves what this was all about. So Rob, our first strategy, buy to let. What is it? An easy episode for us? Yep. No, it's... (laughs) But then again, that's maybe because we've done it for a long time. There's still a lot to take into consideration as there is with any strategy. So we're going to run through that with you. But compared to the other strategies out there, it probably is the most basic investment strategy. Basic doesn't mean boring because it's really popular because of that. And it's the easiest to execute. As you would expect, the more exotic the strategy, the more difficult it is to be successful. As we're going to get into, it's actually quite hard to get this strategy wrong, which will give a lot of property investors comfort. But in its simplest terms, it's buying a property and then renting it out. There is obviously a bit more to it than that, so stick with us. But that is the core principle. Today, we're strictly talking about buying it, renting it out, and all the implications of that. So buy it, rent it out, profit, hopefully. And that profit comes from two different sources, one short-term and one long-term. In the short-term, you're going to get rent coming in every month. And whatever you've got left over after paying your mortgage, if you've got one, your letting agent, if you've got one, and all the other expenses that come along with running a property, is money that you can either save up for your next property or spend on whatever you want to. Then, over the longer term, you expect the property to grow in value as well. So you buy a property today, in 10 years' time, you expect it to be worth more, So you get to bank a profit at the end as well. One of the most important things when it comes to buy to let as a strategy, which almost nobody does at the start, is making a choice between which of those components is most important to you. Pretty much any property you buy over a long enough period of time will make you some income each month and give you some growth over a long period of time. But any given property will be biased more towards one or the other. So you could go and buy a very cheap house in a not particularly nice area and get a fantastic income from it every month because the purchase price was so low relative to the rent. Or you could go and buy a luxury city centre apartment where you're going to make some money every month, not so much, but the growth over time is going to be far better because that area is in so much more demand. 
When it comes to buy-to-let as a strategy, that's one of the most important things you need to know. Which of those is more important to you now? Is it making some money now or is it making a lot of money later? If you don't get clear about what you want and then buy a property accordingly, you're probably going to be disappointed with the results that you get. So yield versus growth is a really important distinction when deciding which type of property to target for buy-to-let, but there are other distinctions as well. Another decision you may feel you'll, you'll need to make is to you go for houses or flats or apartments, wherever you like to call them. Now, people seem to have strong biases on which you should do. Some people say you must do apartments because they're more hands-off because all the stuff's taken care for you. And other people will go, oh, you've got to do houses, never do apartments because it's leasehold and you've got service charges. Well, the thing is, you can do both. And we'll give you a couple of examples of that in a moment. Rob and I do both. You don't have to pick a side, although some people feel like you do. You don't have to be scared of freehold or leasehold, for example. Most apartments are leasehold. So that means you own it for the period of a lease length. That may be as long as 999 years, or it may be really short in time. For us, if you're getting started in property, as long as your lease is 125 years or more, you're fine. For the life of a mortgage over a 25-year period, you'd still have over 100 years left if you pick that term. And many leasehold properties you see now in city centres are several hundred years, so more than enough. Houses tend to be freehold, and that means you own the ground it sits on, so that is yours. Now, emotionally, that may feel more comfortable, but in reality, it makes very little difference. Where people seem to get caught up in the, oh, this one's better or that one's better, is that apartments tend to give you less maintenance issues because you have the service charges covered, but people who prefer houses will go, but I don't like service charges because it eats into my profit. Ultimately, the bottom line number of what you make each month is the most important number, not the charges that make those numbers up. And sometimes apartments will give you a better return and sometimes houses. There is no clear winner. And that's what our portfolios demonstrate. For me, it is more apartments than houses. But that's just because for maintenance issues and it's a little easier being hands off. But both can be successful. Definitely. In the show notes, you'll find a link to a whole episode that we've done on the topic of houses versus flats. But like you, I do both. I've got flats where I spend well over £100 a month on a service charge, which some people would have a real problem with but that's pretty much the only expense I have because everything's taken care of. I have houses where I don't have any service charge, but every so often I'll have to pay for something to do with the guttering or the roof or something like that. So I've never worked it out, but if you did work it out, you'd I'd probably end up paying round about the same amount either way. Houses versus flats is one of those things, there's a few of them in property, where people have very strong opinions, but actually it doesn't matter that much. Another choice you think you might have to make is do you furnish your property? or leave it unfurnished. So when you let it out, do you provide all the furniture, or do you just leave it as a blank canvas, it's empty? Some people may immediately think, I want to do that one. But here's the thing, the market will often dictate to you which one you should do. So for prime city centre stock, more often than not, you're going to furnish that property. You might get away with it being unfurnished, and what you can do is not furnish it and advertise it as both, and then see what interest you get. But quite often, certainly for the better stock, they'll want to see it furnished. But then if you've got a family home out of town, then more often than not, it will need to be unfurnished. There's not much beyond that, but it's a point worth bearing in mind that don't get too wrapped up in the thought of do I need to do it or not. Your letting agent will be able to tell you if you use one. 
what you should be doing in that particular market. If you don't use a letting agent, then just look at the competition on Rightmove to get an, a sense of what seems to be more popular here. So those are some of the distinctions within buy to let But taking buy to let as a whole, what are some of the advantages of this strategy compared to some of the others that we'll talk about in future weeks? Well, a big one is that it's really easy. Once you've bought the property, you can either self-manage, so you can find a tenant and put them in and deal with anything that comes up, or you can use a letting agent to do all that for you. Self-managing, I've done in the past. There is work involved up front. But then the wonderful thing about buy to let is that a lot of the time, not much happens. It's more common to have a month where the rent comes in and the phone doesn't ring and you don't have to do anything than months where you do need to do something. But now, Rob, I have all my properties managed. I know you do as well. So what we actually have to do each month is nothing really, isn't it? Yeah, it can be from a management side. But one thing you have to be aware is when you build your portfolio and it increases in size, you will have to do remortgages. You get lots of letters from different people that sometimes need responding to. If you haven't got a good letting agent, they treat you as the source of the answers rather than them coming up with them. So it can be hands-off if you set it up correctly and you've got a good letting agent. But you just have to be aware that there is some paperwork and the bigger your portfolio, obviously that multiple increases. Now, if time risk is low with this strategy, what risks do you have? With any strategy, there are risks. But the great thing about this strategy for me is that it's a very forgiving strategy. Even when things go wrong and sometimes may be perceived to be really wrong, it's actually not that bad. So let me give you an example. My investment I bought around 2006, a long time ago now. But as we all know, in 2008, it had a price correction to a point that actually the mortgage was higher than the property was worth. So I was in negative equity. Now that will sound very scary for a lot of newbie investors. And actually, as a newbie investor back then, it was quite scary because I had a property that was worth a nice number one day and suddenly a lot less another. But what changed? Well, not a lot really because the property continued to be rented out. I still got paid every month. I made a profit every month and I still own that property today. And now it's worth a bit more than the mortgage. And that's nice. You know, it's gone back into positive equity. It's taken the best part of 13 years to do that. However, during those 13 years, I've earned a steady income. So even on paper, one of the worst investments I've ever made actually turned out to be quite a good one because I've been paid every single month. And if you're in this for the long term, which most people are if they follow this strategy, it shows you that even the worst circumstances actually aren't that bad. Then there are always going to be smaller risks along the way as well. So there's the risk of a tenant not paying rent and having to evict them. There's the risk of not being able to find a tenant and having the property sitting empty. And there's the risk of things breaking, blowing up, having to make repairs. All of these things will at some point all happen at the same time because that's just the way it goes. I had a year a couple of years ago where every one of those things happened at all the same time. I seem to have things breaking in pretty much all my portfolio at the same time. But as long as you're sensible, as long as you've got some cash on hand to cover things like that and you haven't stretched yourself too thinly, it's nothing that's going to affect whether this strategy is successful for you over the long term. Those types of things are only risks if you handle them poorly or if your entire business model has been based on everything going 100% perfectly all the time because it's guaranteed that's not going to happen. But as Rob said earlier, it's a very forgiving strategy. 
because you're not trying to achieve unbelievable things within a year and you're thinking over multi-year, probably decade-long timeframes, any one individual incident isn't over that time going to make a big difference either way. So it's all rosy. Everyone should be doing this strategy. After all, the Robs do. It's always weird referring to myself that way. But anyway, there are disadvantages. First of all, it's pretty slow. It takes a long time to build momentum unless you've got huge pots of cash. You buy a property, you let it out, and you make a a modest income every month. In the short term, it's not life-changing. It's not game-changing. Maybe easier to do, but as you would expect, if the risks are lower and it's easier to get involved, then the rewards are potentially lower as well. Over the long term, it can be very attractive, as we've talked about. But in the short term, it feels a bit slow. And actually, for that very reason, people lose focus. They get excited about the thought of investing in property. They do one or two. And then they get distracted because it wasn't as fun and exciting as they thought. Actually, it's a bit predictable. It's a bit boring. You know, steady income coming in every month and long-term growth may sound exciting. But actually, day to day, it's not. That's it. If you buy a buy-to-let today, then in a year's time, your life will be virtually no different. But in 10 years, it could be very different. It is the slow way to do things. It also, as you've touched on, involves putting down deposits. It involves putting in cash. You'll often hear people claiming that you can invest in property with no money. There have been points in the past where, because you could use mortgages in a particular way and lending was very permissive, that was true. You could do that. There are still ways today that you can make money from things related to property that don't involve putting in money. But if you want to invest in property and you're doing this long, slow and steady approach, you'll need to find the deposit that you put down on every property that you buy. Now, over time, this gets easier. With every property you buy, you'll have a new set of rent coming in that you can put towards the deposit for the next one. And in a rising market, as your portfolio grows, you'll have more properties that are all growing in value over time. So you'll be able to remortgage those properties to pull some of your money out again. And if that's not a concept you're familiar with, we'll link you to an episode in the show notes where we talk about that in more detail. But the point is, over time, what we call the snowball effect kicks in. Your momentum grows and grows and it gets easier and easier to build your portfolio. But at the start, it is very slow. Each new purchase will involve saving up a new deposit. That could take you a year, two years or more to do. So if you're looking for very quick results or you're looking at a way to get big results from a small amount of cash that you're not going to be in a position to grow, then buy to let probably isn't the strategy for you. Well, let's look at that. Who isn't this for? Because you could say, well, it's for everyone because it's easy, but then it's not for everyone. Because if, for example, you're someone who loves risk, has plenty of time on their side, and wants income right now, then this strategy's not for you. It's for the people, the opposite of that. So it's for people who are time poor. You may want to have the time to do more exotic things, but ultimately, if your life right now doesn't allow you to, this strategy could be for you. If you are in it for the long term, again, this strategy will appeal. And if you're doing it to build a safe and secure portfolio, one that's lower risk than all the other strategies we'll go on to talk about, then again, this could be right for you. If you are brand new to this and you're using this mini series we're doing to decide, then ask yourself, am I that person or am I something else? And if it is something else, then in the coming weeks, we may find the right strategy for you. But if you're time poor and you're in it for the long term, then standard buy to let is a great fit. So if buy to let is the strategy for you, how do you do it well? One of the most important points, which I mentioned right back at the start, is to know what you're investing for. So by the end of this little series, you'll know if buy to let is a strategy for you. If it is, great, but that's not the end of it. 
Within that, what are you investing for? Are you more interested in the money you make each month? Or are you more interested in having your portfolio having grown in value over a number of years? As I said, properties tend to be biased more towards one or the other. So you need to know which is important to you so you can target the right type of property. Another thing you need to do, which is universal to all the strategies we're going to talk about, is educate yourself. That doesn't mean that you need to spend a whole load of money for a very expensive course that tells you how to do it. There's lots of information out there, such as 337 episodes of this podcast and books and videos and all manner of other things that can tell you everything you need to know with hardly any outlay. Buy to let is simple. This is a very simple strategy. So don't listen to anyone who tells you that there are any secrets to this. There are strategies that are more complex where you might need a bit more guidance. And there are experts who have a lot of value to add. But buy to let is simple. So you need to educate yourself, but you don't need to overcomplicate it. That's right. Research is key here. Put your time into research instead. So once you've learned the basics, just put that effort in. Because you can go too hands-off with this strategy and abdicate your responsibilities to others and go, oh, well, I'm working with an expert, so it's up to them to get this right for me. It's not the case. It's your money. You've earned this money or you've been given it. So make sure you treat it with the respect it deserves. And the respect is researching what to do, how to move forward, where to invest in, which are the best areas of that particular area you're focusing on. That said... I'm going to completely contradict myself now, or partly, don't obsess too much over finding the perfect deal. So once you've got the knowledge and you've done research, don't expect for the perfect deals to come along, because as we've said many times, the perfect deal does not exist. The cost of not investing one year because you were looking for perfection is far more than just getting an average property, because that average property will start to build you income will start to give you some growth. Maybe minuscule, but it'll be something. And if you're brand new to property investment, start to give you a track record with other lenders. So the cost of inaction is far more expensive than an average deal. So don't look for perfection. Of course, look for good or even very good, but you can talk yourself out of every single deal if you want to. Make sure that's not you. Because as we've already discussed, over the long term, any mistakes you do make, even major ones, Time will look after. So that's everything you need to know about buy to let, or at least everything you need to know to start thinking about buy to let. And again, if you go to the show notes, you'll find lots of links to other episodes about it. But I've really enjoyed putting this episode together because by going back to basics, it got me thinking back to the start and about why I started following this strategy in the first place. I think the main reason was I didn't know about many of the others. I mean, back then, like 12, 13 years ago, or whenever it was that I bought my first property, there wasn't all the information around that there is now. There are a couple of forums online and some very general books, but that was kind of it. We talked about yield versus growth. My motivation at the time was yield. I wanted to have some more money coming in each month. And how do you do that? Well, you buy a property and you get rent coming in. It really was as simple as that. If I was starting again today with in the same position and with the same motivations, I might have actually ended up going for another strategy that promises even higher cash flow than buy to let does. But I'm really glad that that information wasn't around and I did end up going down this route because I've not just ended up with that money coming in. I've also ended up with a portfolio that's grown in value. I've been able to shift my approach pretty seamlessly over time and move away from that income bias into more of a growth bias and shift from being more hands-on to being very hands-off. 
So for me, that's been one of the really nice things about buy to let. It is very simple, but it encompasses a lot. There's a lot of different ways of approaching it. So you can adapt over time and have it working for you in whatever way you want. Yeah, I completely agree, Rob. When I started out, there was a lot less noise. You know, there wasn't all these weird and wonderful strategies. And you could be forgiven for thinking that those strategies are the norm. When actually most people actually do this strategy over others. doesn't mean that you listening should. But for most people, this is probably the strategy that they end up doing. It's just that the more exotic strategies out there have a lot of marketing and courses built off the back of them. So they're talked about a lot by other experts. It's hard to make money off what is a simplistic strategy. So therefore, they tend to poo-poo it and not talk about the benefits. But as you've touched on, the benefits are there to see. You know, you've done really well off the back of your portfolio. And 13 years on, it's done really well for me. Now, it earns enough income to pay for my lifestyle. Yeah, I may not be able to go on as many holidays if I just relied on my property portfolio, but I could pay all my bills, wouldn't need to downsize, could stay where I live, live in the southeast of England, an expensive place, but that would be covered by my property portfolio. And that's a nice position to be in. I was always investing for the long term, and actually income was secondary, but after so many years in, that income has just got to a place where it's given me that stability as well. And that's amazing. You know, for me, it was this long-term gain and it's still about the long-term, but the secondary benefit has kicked in now as well. You went, that was your primary motivation at the beginning and you got that pretty quickly and that was awesome. You know, it's weird how we kind of flip-flop between the two. You've now seen that growth is more important for you moving forward. I think it's important to point out though that, It didn't happen for either of us quickly. You know, over the long term is when these benefits play out. So that may sound, wow, you know, paying for everything, lifestyle, you can choose how you spend your days. That is a wonderful position to be in, but it doesn't happen overnight. And that's the thing about this strategy. You have to like what you do day to day or find a different way to change what you do day to day if you don't, because this won't do that for you. So if you have more aggressive goals and a bigger appetite to risk, then as we said, this might not be for you. But if you're in it for the long term and you're time poor, this is a wonderful strategy. So it's time for our listener success stories. How you get these to us, we do not mind. We've had them from Instagram in the past, Facebook, Twitter. They're all at Property Hub UK. We also have them via the forum. They're awesome. Or we do like to see them as five-star reviews in iTunes. However you do it, We love your feedback, particularly when it's all lovely. Like the following from James, who posted this on our Facebook channel. I wanted to say a huge thanks to you both. I've just purchased my first buy to let after nine months of trying to get a good deal. I've had two fall through for different reasons. It felt like everything was against me and it wasn't going to work out. But I put your podcast on and your enthusiasm and optimism inspired me to keep going. And now I've got my first buy to let flat, which was empty for two weeks. And then I got my first tenant, and it's now giving me a great return. Thanks, guys. Keep it going. You are real inspiration. Well done, James. And Rob, there's lessons in there, isn't there? Like, it can seem doom and gloom in the short term. But as we keep talking about, over the long term, whatever you do in life, actually, but over the long term, things that seem massive and really negative at one point are just part of your story further on. Sounds a bit cheesy, but... When James' second deal fell over, it probably felt like the end of the world. But literally a few months later, he's on top of the world. Definitely. I can guarantee in another few years, 
all of those challenging experiences of the past will be completely forgotten. It will just seem irrelevant. But powering through those early setbacks is really hard. So well done, James, for keeping yourself motivated and pushing through. And let us know how you get on, because I'm sure that portfolio is going to start looking a lot bigger in future years. Uh, Rob, have you got seven minutes? Of course, I've always got seven minutes. Why is that? I just thought we'd do a new segment where we talk about ourselves for seven minutes. No, don't <laughs> worry. It's not that segment. We're not starting that. It's Hub Extra time where we give you something a little bit extra. Like our email that goes out every Friday, which our aim is to make it the most valuable email in your inbox every week. Sign up to the Property Hub for free to get that. This part of the show, we try to bring you a bit more as well. And this week, it's an app called Seven. And it's a seven-minute workout. So I think it's worthwhile letting you know how I came across this app. Jack Dorsey, who's the CEO for Square, quite a big company, and Twitter, also quite a big company, talked about in an article recently about how he lays out his week. And within that article, he mentioned this app. So I thought, well, if it's good enough for Jack, it might be good enough for me. So this app gives you a seven-minute workout. And they've looked at the numbers and apparently proven that if you do a high-intensity workout for seven minutes non-stop, that is the minimum viable exercise that you need to do every day. And it's easy to say, you know what, I can't get to the gym for an hour or two hours. Or actually, I can't even do that 30-minute hit exercise. But seven minutes? I think everybody can find seven minutes in their day. And that's what I love about this app. It's kind of an excuse annihilator. If you can't do seven minutes, you're just being lazy. There's no more excuses left. It's just seven minutes. But if you think, okay, well, I want to do it. How can I make this part of my day? Well, we've talked previously about habit stacking. And for me, I'm starting to use this app when I put the kettle on in the morning because it's one of the first things I do. When that kettle goes click, the next click is this app and the seven-minute workout starts. You may want to do more exercise in the day, but if you just do seven minutes each and every day, you've got that win. Anything on top is a bonus, but at least you've got this win in the bank. And that's why I love this app. And the other nice thing about that is by having that win and being off to a healthy start with your day and feeling like you've achieved something, you probably are more likely to go on and do other exercise later that day than you would have been before anyway. And in your case, Rob, you get coffee as a reward, which is one of the world's great motivators. So the app is available for Apple and Android devices. You'll find it at 7.app. And that link, along with everything else we've talked about today, will be in the show notes. So that's the first in a series of podcasts on strategy done. Next week, another popular strategy. We're going to be looking at HMOs. And as this is a strategy that Rob and I are not experts in, we've got an expert in to help us out. So make sure you join us for that. And next Tuesday, we'll be back with an episode of Ask Rob and Rob. So until those wonderful momentous events occur, take care, have fun. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.